are looking at this series on fruitful disciples and discipleship. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And we're looking at how can we be fruitful disciples? How can our lives count, be significant? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to live? So Father, we pray as we come to your word. This is, I believe, right at the heart of the gospel, of the truth we hold in our hands. Some of us literally now. And I just pray, God, help us to do it justice, and I pray that it would be a fruitful word among us, resulting in fruitful disciples. So we are going to look at fruitful discipleship, but I did just have a growing sense, and it's been backed up by the worship this morning, that for some of us this morning, this teaching is significant. I think it is a significant teaching, and there is tremendous freedom on offer for you. We've just been singing about being free in some of the worship songs. There's tremendous freedom praying before the service. Somebody prayed around Isaiah 54, this idea of enlarging. Trev's just prayed it around Jabez, enlargement, coming into our inheritance. We do know, don't we, God is good and he has good things for us. Okay, he's not mean and miserly, and the Christian life is just to be hard work and duty. I'm going to come back to that. So there's freedom, and when we are free, I believe, particularly when we're free, we will be fruitful, as I hope we'll see this morning. It's what Paul says in Galatians 4. He says, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces, the primeval things of the world. But when the set time had fully come, and this is the gospel, the Christian good news. So this is news to you. I pray that this morning as we go through this, this will speak to your heart and spirit and God will give revelation that in Christianity, in Christ, there is good news. So God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law and the restriction of that, to redeem those under the law who couldn't keep God's law and standards, that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts as we receive Christ, the spirit who calls out in us, Abba, Father who recognises God as Father, and there is that exclamation in our heart, Father. So you are no longer a slave. don't know how we feel this morning, whether our life feels like there's a bit of bondage and slavery. You're no longer a slave. But God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir who will inherit so God has good things for us. We should be, as we're going to end on this note, the happiest people on earth. I think somebody wrote a book, didn't they? Christian wrote a book, The Happiest People on Earth or something. I think they did. And even if they didn't, someone should, because that's what we should be. Guys, I don't just mean happy, clappy, big cheesy smiles on our faces. Or they're, hey, for me sometimes, I'll own it. That could be an improvement. But because in our spirits, there should be a joy and a lightness as we live out as sons and daughters. So I'm just going to ask a series of questions this morning about this. 
From that place of freedom, how do we be fruitful disciples? So firstly then, what is fruit? Well, naturally, but also biblically. Well, in nature, fruit is an external manifestation of the inner life of an organism. It's the external manifestation, growth of the inner life. I don't know how it works. You know, the sap and stuff blossoms and then stuff grows. Okay, that pretty, that's it in a, Mike's a landscaper and works with all this. He'll back that up, that, that was very <laughs> scientific. Okay? So there is inner life in an organism that the results in fruit and the spiritual reflects the natural. Now, I don't want to quote Erica for the second time running because her pride would suffer. But, and I haven't written it down, but, but last week or two weeks ago, Erica said that good fruit is any speech or action that reflects a heart connected to God's heart. Any speech or action, an outward manifestation that reflects a heart connected to God's heart of an inner life, connected to God. It's biblical, you know. She was being biblical, which is good, isn't it? That people stand up here and try and be biblical. It is, trust me. It's good. (laughs) So fruit is that which is produced by us and through us as a result of God's life in us. It's that which is produced by us and through us as a result of the life of God in us. It's what Jesus meant in John 15, 5. If you remain in me, abide in me, are connected to me, the vine is what he said previously, my life will flow through you and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Connected to him, if we maintain that connection and that life, we will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we're doing stuff that does not come out of being connected with Jesus, i.e. it's in our own strength, it's nothing. In fact, Jesus goes on to say here, it will get burned up. So let's not be doing stuff in our own strength that we think is a good idea. And about that, because that's going to get burned up. Hay, straw, stubble. No matter how good it looks on the outside. And here's the problem. We kid ourselves and others by these works, these manifestations of a life that is not the life of God. It's our strength. So we don't want that. We don't want that. So Jesus says, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. So here's the issue. The issue is to remain. That's what we've got to look after. It's the remaining in him, if we remain in him, much fruit. So what we've got to guard is the remaining, not the works themselves. We can do things out of wrong motives, religiosity, effort, wanting to please others. Is this ringing any bells? The closest definition I think I could find of biblically what fruit is, is, it's very obvious, Galatians 5 The fruit of the Spirit, and I think Paul then goes on to explain the life of God. I think what he's talking about here is the life of God, the character of God. The fruit of the Spirit in us manifests in love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, whatever they look like. So the thing is that those things are manifest because they will result in those speech, those words and actions that Erica talked about. 
if that is flowing through us. So that's what we've got to nurture. It's not the act. It's not the prayer itself. It's not the turning up here on a Sunday. I'm really pleased you're here. But it's not that alone, unless that's coming out of, I don't know, faithfulness. I'm going to be there this morning because it's the faithful thing to do. I'm going to be faithful to God and faithful to my brothers and sisters. All of those, you see, can result in love and in actions and speech. So how does this fruit grow? How do we encourage this life of God in us to flow? Well, we've got a clue in the parable of the sower, Luke 8. It's also Matthew, I think in Mark. Jesus telling a parable, a story to illustrate something, says a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And the disciples go, and I don't know whether you've ever said this to Jesus, I don't understand. Explain. Please explain that to me, Lord. So he did. Apologies, this is a bit small. This is the meaning of the parable, says Jesus. The seed is the word of God. Get hold of that. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. And I think there's a crossover here. I don't think it's either or. Is Jesus talking to people who aren't Christians or are Christians. I think certainly here, this could be Christians or not Christians. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. This is challenging. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. 30, 60, 100-fold. So here's the thing. Fruit grows in response to the word of God. Fruit grows in response to the word of God. The seed that produces the crop is the word, says Jesus. The seed is the word. So fruit grows in response to the word. I, I wonder whether there is any fruitfulness outside of response to God's word. I wonder if there's any fruitfulness, fruitfulness in us outside of our response to the word of God. What is that? Well, the word of God is what God's saying to us, revealing to us, showing us, leading us into. I don't know how we can produce any fruit outside of that, because if we do, we're responding to our thoughts and our revelations and our understanding. Now, I understand that sometimes those come together, God reveals something, and we come to understand it. But where it's just us, well, it's, it's not in response to the word then. So how can it grow? Because the seed is the word. It's scripture. You say, I don't know what God is saying. I can give you a Bible after the service, plenty of words in there to build your life upon. But also the rhema, now word, 
that sense of revelation, that sense of leading to go to Suffolk or Norfolk. Suffolk. Sense of leading. Response to the word. Hopefully, fruitfulness out of obedience. And fruit is tied up with obedience to what God is showing us, his word to us, his revelation to us. Fruit is tied up with obedience to that. So it's one thing to see it and understand it, but we've got to be obedient and put it in action. It's what Jesus says in John 15. If you look at John 15, this is a really helpful passage here in terms of fruitful disciples. Jesus has talked about remaining in him and there will be fruit if we remain. We're to remain in his love, he says in that passage. He also says to remain in my word. And one of the ways we remain in his word is to obey it. I have to ask at this stage, sorry, I've just, got, I've just got to ask. So are we exposing ourselves to his word? Because <laughs> how are we going to be obedient to his word? And particularly there I do mean scripture, but, but I just mean in prayerfulness, seeking his leading, seeking the leading of the spirit, the revelation of God. Are we exposing ourselves to that? Or I'm, gonna, oh, I'm just going to ask, I'm just going to ask, hang it, I'm just going to ask. Or is this it in terms of your exposure to the word? This is it. On a Sunday, you come, bless you. I bless you in the name of the Lord that you're here. But let me tell you, the proportion to which you... I hadn't thought of this. I think this is a good word. The proportion to which you expose yourself to the word and obey it will be the proportion of fruitfulness in your life. So if you want fruitfulness based on... You'll get, if this is it, you'll get 30 minutes worth. Could be 25 could be a bit more than 30. You'll get 30 minutes worth of fruitfulness. I don't want 30 minutes worth of fruitfulness in my life. I want my life to be more manifest in terms of fruit. So let's read the word day by day. Let's be prayerful. Let's expose ourselves to the word more fruit. I think that's probably the case. So Jesus says, as the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Listen, remain in my love. You remember, remain leads to fruitfulness, the life of God in us. Remaining in him leads to the life of God flowing through us. How do we remain in my love? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands. So don't be disobedient to the word of God. Don't do it. Let's be obedient to the word of God. Let's know it. I'm not saying obedient dutifully. I'm going to show we're not dutiful to a hard master We're living to please our loving Father. So let's do that. Let's want to do that. Let's be men and women, young people, who'd want to do that. Notice where the seed's sown. Luke 8, the soil for the seed is our hearts. So the seed, it's only Luke tells us this, the seed is sown in our hearts. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the word is sown in our hearts. That becomes good soil. Here's the thing. I think we can take responsibility for ensuring our hearts are good soil. We may not be able to completely control what the fruit resulting is. That's up to the Lord. But we can take responsibility for ensuring that our hearts are good soil. 
It's what Proverbs 4.23 says, isn't it? Above all else, guard, protect, be vigilant about your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. Everything grows out of your heart. So we've got to guard our heart. So what makes for good soil? How do we protect our heart? Are we tracking so far? Okay, the seed is sown. We're to be fruitful. How are we fruitful? A seed is sown. Okay, that seed is planted in our heart. If we ensure our heart is good soil, the seed will grow and will produce fruit. So it's about looking after our heart. So how do we guard our heart? And I think what I'm going to share now is I think it's right at the heart of the gospel. I think I can prove that biblically, theologically. It's certainly probably the understanding I have come to that has most impacted my life. So, how do we guard our heart? Here's the answer. I think we are to do all we can to establish an understanding that we are loved by a heavenly Father. I think we will guard our heart if we do all we can to establish in our heart, mind and heart, will, that we are loved by a heavenly father. You see, if we know the love of the father, I believe that will nurture and nourish our hearts. And our hearts will then be good soil. We won't live at a place where we are orphans having to protect ourselves, keep it tight, defend ourselves, strive, live for ourselves, perform for others. Well, that's not going to result in fruitfulness. That's not going to result of the life of God in us. Because if we think we're alone in the world, like an orphan is, and we've got to look after ourselves, and we're not loved, well, the life of God won't flow through us. But if we have this conviction that we are loved by the Father, like nutrients to soil, that will nurture our heart. Our heart will be good soil. And I think that's what Jesus did. I think Jesus lived out of a place where he knew his heavenly father loved him. He guarded that in his heart. And I'm not saying it started here, but it certainly comes out at his baptism. So this is before Jesus has ever done anything, before he's ministered. And it says this, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, this would be enough, wouldn't it? Heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, for many of us, many of us would go, that's enough. The Spirit coming upon me like that would be enough. But the Father thought there was more that Jesus needed. And a voice came from heaven saying... You are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Before he'd ever done anything, Jesus was affirmed. And I think this is absolutely foundational understanding that Jesus carried, as I hope to show, but that we should carry. You 
are God's son or daughter whom he loves with you he is well pleased as I'm saying that does that resonate you are God's son or daughter whom he loves and with you he's so pleased no matter what anyone else thinks he's pleased let me ask you does it resonate here I've heard this I know, I know this I know this I'm, I'm, what do you think I'm stupid I've been, to, I've been to Sunday school and church and Jesus loves me this I know and all of that I've heard it but does it resonate here Because I think Jesus came out of these waters with it resonating here. I'm loved. I'm loved. So before the start of his ministry, the father chooses to affirm Jesus in his sonship and affirms over him his fatherhood. That's what the father chose to speak into Jesus' life. So Throughout his life then, Jesus' identity was that he was a loved son. Is that our primary identity? That we're a loved son or daughter? One of the problems here is that, was it only last Sunday was Father's Day? One of the problems here is that earthly parenting (laughs) cuts across that. Because some of us, Our earthly parenting perhaps hasn't been what it could have been, and it's not some of us actually, it's all of us. All of us. Our earthly parenting hasn't been what it could have been, and for some of us that's particularly the case. And therefore we project onto God the Father our earthly parenting, and we struggle with that, and we struggle to embrace this affirming of his fatherhood, because we think, well, if he's like my mum or dad... (laughs) And we, may not, we won't necessarily have this conversation con- consciously in our head. It will be subliminal. We will live at a place of not having been loved or affirmed or whatever. And subconsciously, that's what we think God's like. Well, he's not, is he? Our identity is to be in his fatherhood, not in power. Not in our and your status. Not in our popularity. Not in our achievements. But in our sonship and daughtership. Jim Packer makes a lot of this. This is, theologically, this is talking here about God adopting us. What Jim Packer argues is that a lot of those other teachings we have around justification, our sins being cleansed, the atonement, what Jesus did on the cross, it's all for this. It's all for this sonship and daughtership. It's not like that's an add-on. It's all for that. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. So that's where Jesus wants us to head. So Jim Packer says, what is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. Now, if you're a Christian, you have God as father. Maybe he could have said, the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who knows, knows they have God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, 
Find out how much he makes of being God's child and having God as their father. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. This is huge. It's huge. If he's right, father is the Christian name for God. Does that resonate? Do you love that teaching? I've come less than I should do, but more and more over the years to love this. To know that I'm his son. No matter how much I stuff up, and it's plenty. No matter what words I speak that are cutting, when I'm not kind, when I'm not gentle, when I'm not loving, nonetheless, I come to a father who says, but I love you. It's okay. We'll have a chat about it. We'll come back to that. Let's revisit that in a minute. But in the meantime, I just want you to know I'm loved. We need to press into this. I think we will live better lives, as I want to show, in the time that's left. So have we entered into this sonship and daughtership? And I think too many of us fail to live out of this place. To walk as if we really, really, really believe it. I just see too many Christians. I see too many leaders. It's one of the reasons, I think, we see leaders fall. Because they're striving. And, I've, you know, you, when you knock around with a few leaders, sometimes you get to see what makes us tick. And all of us are wanting to perform and strive. And sometimes it leads us to dark places when, when that's not happening. And when you feel alone. And I think we see leaders fall, perhaps out of this. So we can guard this understanding in our hearts. How do we do that? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, by being open to the Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descended and he felt subjectively what he knew objectively because the Spirit came. So if we're open to the Spirit, I believe one of the things the Spirit does is reveal the Father's love. It's why we must be a church open to the Holy Spirit, whatever that means. Paul says in Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. We were singing it. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. And here's the thing, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. It's the Spirit that reveals that to us as we open ourselves to him and receive more of him. He reveals to us that we are loved children. So let's be open to the Spirit. And secondly, let's have our word, worldview shaped by the word of God. Expose ourselves to the two scriptures that teach this, that shape our worldview. Let's not have our worldview and our perspective shaped by what's been said to us. Ruth said earlier, things that might have been said to us, that have cut across us, that have cut us down, that have put burdens on us, that have said, you'll never do that. That will never happen with you. You're not like that. And God says, you're a child of God. Nothing's impossible for you. Nothing's impossible for me. Nothing's impossible for you. So what will the effects be if we live out of this place? Going to rattle through these. So this is now 
What will the effects be of embracing this teaching, guarding our heart? I think we become fruitful disciples. I think we're free to be fruitful disciples, which is our series. You see, Jesus lived father conscious and was fruitful. He was able to resist temptation. That's a good disciple thing, isn't it? You see, Luke chapter 4 follows Luke chapter 3. It does. Trust me. What I mean by that is this. In Luke chapter 4, we have Jesus' temptation. It follows his baptism. It follows him coming to an understanding, I'm loved by my father. I don't know whether you've ever seen, the temptation is an attack on Jesus' identity as a child. That's what the enemy's going to try to do to you. He, that's what he's trying to do to some of you right now. He's trying to get you to succumb and give up on your identity as a child. And the father would say, no, 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 no. You are better than whatever the enemy is putting your way now. You're better than that. Because the enemy came to Jesus twice, he says it. If you are the son of God, it's an attack on his identity as a child. And Jesus says, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. I am not lowering who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm his son. Luke chapter 4 follows Luke chapter 3. I've got a couple of quotes here. Well, this is Bill Clinton, who I think is very probably a child of God. I remember R.T. Kendall used to say the reason, one of the things that spoke to him that he thinks Bill Clinton was probably a child of God is when he fell morally, those of us old enough to remember, he was found out. Just like David was found out. This is what happened. Clinton, in his autobiography, says this. I came to understand that when I was exhausted, angry, or feeling isolated and alone, like an orphan, not knowing my father's love, I was more vulnerable to making selfish and self-destructive personal mistakes about which I would later be ashamed. American pastors met with him, ministered to him. He says this, even though they often were tough on me, let's, we need to be tough and forthright at times and be honest and face up to, you know, the stuff we've done. The pastors took me past the politics into soul searching and into the power of God's love. It may well be that Bill Clinton came to know in a real way the Father's love, restorative, redemptive, and he can do that for you. G.K. Chesterton, this is powerful, says that every man or woman that knocks on the door of a brothel or turns on a computer or whatever it is, looking for satisfaction and love somewhere is actually looking for God. That's not to condemn anyone. The Father has us back. But that's what we're looking for in these moments of orphan living. We're searching for the Father's love. Cracking on. We'll resist temptation if we live out the Father's love. We'll be confident in prayer. We pray to our Father. Jesus said in Luke 11, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? So ask, seek, knock, be confident in prayer. Come to one who is a loving father. You haven't got to twist his arm or earn his goodness. That's just who he is. We'll be confident in prayer. We'll value the family. This is how Paul lived. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom the whole family, Paul's understanding of the church was, we are family who have the same dad. He's been prolific. 
And he's given birth to every single one of us through his son. We're one family. Fruitful. And there's more life to come. There's more children to bring in. He want, I sense in my spirit, as I'm saying this, he wants to be more prolific. He wants to see more children come into his family. And it's up to us. The seed is now in us. We have the word to share. And we are to bless the world. We'll value the family. And we'll submit to his refining. Hebrews 12 talks about the refining, the discipline a loving father gives to his children. And God's like that with us. Is God taking you through refining now? Submit to it. Don't resist it. Don't run away from it. Don't, you know, roll your sleeves up and sort it out yourself. Because he's a good, good father. And that refining is for your good and my good. I mean, it, it's a real pain, isn't it? I grant you that. It is, isn't it? Rather not. But he's a loving father. So I've tried to argue that fruitful discipleship is a response to the word that is sown in our hearts that we will guard and make good soil if we embrace and live out of an understanding of the fatherhood of God and our sonship and daughtership. We will be free to be fruitful disciples because we'll trust our father, we'll give ourselves to him and his purposes, we'll be obedient to his word and we'll see fruit as a result. The alternative, you see, is men and women striving to please a distant and demanding God and becoming miserable in the doing. And we don't want to be like that, do we? We're not fun to be around, and we don't glorify our Father in heaven. I use this quote, Spurgeon got this. I used this a few weeks ago, probably a few months. But I wanted to use it again. And at first I was just going to read it because it's a great quote. It's the difference between living out of being orphans and living out of being sons and daughters and being fruitful in that. But what we're going to do is this. As I read it, we're going to ask the Spirit to come and reveal to us to what extent do we live like one or the other? Not to condemn us, but so that we say, Lord, if, if there are ways I'm living that I shouldn't be living and I haven't grasped this, Lord, help me. Just That might be your prayer. Just help me. There may be things maybe we've allowed ourselves to get into that, hey, we can come back to the Father. It's called repentance. That we come back to the Father where we yield and soften our hearts, keep them as good soil. So let's just read through this. So Spurgeon firstly talks about churches, Christ's people, that live as orphans. Lord, I pray, would you just come and show us how we're to be living? Hold out to us the hope there is in you, that we can know what it is to be your children. A body of professing Christians performing religion as a task. 
groaning along the ways of godliness and faces full of misery. Like slaves who fear the lash. Is our God a disciplinarian? May have come from our parents, may have come from a school teacher. Can, these people can have but a small effect upon the sinners around them. So set us free from that, Lord. <coughs> set us free from that. These people in the community say, these people serve, no doubt, a hard master. And they are denying themselves this and that. Is that, is that our Christianity? It's a, it's a list of rules we keep. Why should we be like them, they say? Let's just spend a moment in quiet and just even now reflect and just ask, Lord, if I've seen you as a taskmaster, I'm sorry. If there's anything there that God's quickened by his spirit, just, just bring it to the Lord. just come into my mind that some of us have been brought up in churches that were religious and it was about keeping rules let's just tell the Lord we don't, we don't want that Lord we've known people that have been hurt by that and young people that have left churches like that we don't want to be like that Lord By your spirit, grant us freedom. This is what Spurgeon goes on to say. So as we read this, let's in our spirit embrace this. This is good. But bring me a church made up of God's children. A company of men and women whose faces shine with their heavenly father's smile. I read this morning, you know, the blessing... Lord bless you and keep you, may his face shine upon you. I think the connotation of that is that God would smile upon us and that we know he's smiling. Is that our sense of the Father this morning? Whatever it is, wherever we are this morning, he is pleased with us. Just the thought of us makes him smile. I don't know whether you've got family away from home. Maybe the thought of them well, it might annoy you, but maybe it makes you smile. Just, to, just your children, others you love. With their Heavenly Father's smile, who are accustomed to take their cares and cast them on their Father as children should. Not that we can pray about things because we're good enough, we've earned it. But just because he's Dad. 
who know they are accepted and beloved and are perfectly content with their great Father's will. Spurgeon goes on to say, put these people down in the middle of a group of unbelieving people and I guarantee that they, the community, will begin to be jealous of their peace and joy. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free in the Father's love? Peace, joy. In this way, happy saints become the most effective workers, the most fruitful disciples on the minds of the unsaved. Happy saints. I want to be a happy saint. When you get home, ask your nearest and dearest, my love, am I a happy saint? (laughs) See what they say. (laughs) 